the midst of a global pandemic, is it still okay to play? Well, Taiwan's pro baseball players certainly would say so, and so would we, as long as it's safe to do so. In today's Taiwan Insider, we're going to offer you some distractions to take your mind off the pandemic. I'm Natalie So. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's start off by taking a look at the stories on our radar. The top story this week, a cluster infection of COVID-19 on a Navy ship. The boat was part of a fleet that left Taiwan on February 21st. It docked in the Pacific nation of Palau from March 12th to 15th as part of a goodwill mission. In late March, the first crew members started to show symptoms. By April 23rd, 29 crew members tested positive, though a majority of them were asymptomatic. Several of them visited public spaces before learning they were infected. Both President Tsai and the defense minister have apologized for the handling of the outbreak. Two Navy admirals have been removed from their posts for negligence that led to the outbreak. One of them, the fleet commander, failed to report all cases of fever on board. He says that's because the medical officer ruled that they were just cases of the common cold. This week, around 900,000 people across Taiwan are receiving relief payments from the government to help them weather the COVID-19 pandemic. Payouts will go to taxi and tour bus drivers and self-employed people with labor insurance, among others. Police have arrested three men in connection with an attack on Hong Kong bookseller Lam Wing Kee in Taipei. Lam fled to Taiwan due to fears of Chinese persecution. On Tuesday, a man threw red paint on Lam at a Taipei coffee shop. The attack is believed to be connected to Lam's plans to open a new bookstore in Taipei on Saturday. Afraid of touching escalator handrails? Taiwan's railway administration has you covered. In fact, special machines are being used to clean just about every high-touch surface in stations, even toilet seats. Now, our words of the week are going to be our favorite diversions at home. You want to guess mine? Yes, I do. Okay. Do you have? Watching TV. Uh, Red Sox. Read. Read. Yes, I love to read. I think reading is really inspiring. It gives me a lot of inspiration and it relaxes the mind, enlightens the mind. I think that's wonderful. I used to be a big reader, but like in the time of pandemic, I've discovered I have no attention span. Are you serious? Yeah, I mean, it gives me more time to read. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> we'll share notes. You ready for mine? Okay. All right. Sleep. <laughs> I wish I could do that. <laughs> well, you have, have uh, a crowded home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to say, you know, I've been beating myself up for trying to get sleep, you know, because I, I feel like it's lazy. But, you know, when you're full of anxiety and if you can sleep, why not get it where you can get it? It's good for your health, too. Right. Absolutely. It keeps you, um, your immune system up. That's right. Very good for you. All, All right, right. Let's put these on the shelf. Let's start with a closer look at a cluster infection aboard a Taiwanese Navy ship. Now, the dean of the National Taiwan University College of Public Health has some suggestions on how to contain the outbreak. The USS Theodore Roosevelt had over 600 cases. A French aircraft carrier, the Charles de Gaulle, had over 1,000 infections. Then there was the Diamond Princess cruise ship now a cluster infection on a Taiwan Navy vessel. The head of National Taiwan University's College of Public Health has these suggestions. <laughs> Professor Zhan says the contacts of the people on the boat must be traced to a week before they boarded. Close contacts of confirmed cases should be quarantined for 14 days and monitored for an additional 14 days. 
The U.S. and Germany have increased testing of asymptomatic people. Zan says it's not like the first stage where you just try to limit the number of infections. Now if you can learn more about the population, it will be useful for treating the virus and creating vaccines. Zan says Taiwan needs to get ready for the next stage of prevention. He says the nation's military also needs to be vigilant about reporting new cases, considering the close nature of their work. Now, authorities have begun testing the personnel on board that Navy ship where the outbreak occurred, and it's provided some very interesting results. And that's the subject of today's Taiwan Explained. Antibody tests are being discussed in places like Germany and the U.S. as a way for allowing those countries to get back to work. Now, those tests are being used in a very different way here in Taiwan. Now, in today's Taiwan Explained, I'm going to tell you about what antibody tests can and cannot tell us. Okay, you have 60 seconds. Are you ready, Andrew? I think so. All right, go. All right, first of all, antibody tests cannot detect an early infection of COVID-19, but they can tell you who's had it and roughly when. That's because different antibodies appear at different times. For example, a general one appears when you first get sick. Another antibody, which can recognize and fight COVID-19, doesn't peak until about 28 days. Now, when they tested personnel on board the Taiwanese Navy ship, this is what they found. Several people on board tested negative for COVID-19, but they had antibodies suggesting an earlier wave of infection on that ship. Now, scientists believe that people with antibodies probably have immunity, but they don't know for how long. Now, the million-dollar question is, can these tests help countries to get back to work? Now, the health minister says that there is a scientific basis for using antibody tests to help workers return to work, but there just aren't enough quality tests available for everyone. The minister also says it's not useful to do a lot of antibody testing in Taiwan because the number of cases is too low. Perfect, Andrew. <laughs> Great job. That's a you know, very complicated subject. Very complicated. And I think most people are wondering is how useful will these be to open up societies? What are the current obstacles? Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So first of all, I think it's important to reiterate that these tests uh, that show antibodies, uh, they don't necessarily tell you how long people are going to be immune Okay. to COVID-19. Mm. Now, the second thing is, is that people are talking about herd immunity. So the idea is that the more people that have the antibodies, the more that they can slow the spread of the disease because the virus doesn't have anywhere to go. Mm -hmm. Now, right now, initial testing shows that in places like Wuhan and in some places in the U.S., the, uh, only about 3% of the population has antibodies. But in order for herd immunity to take place, you need closer to 60%, some experts are saying. Now, I also mentioned tests. They're having problems with test kits, especially rapid test kits. Uh, for example, the UK ordered millions of these test kits from China only to discover that they're not accurate enough to use. Uh, now, lab tests are much better. Um, but like, for example, with the Taiwan Navy tests, they sent them to three different labs to make sure that they would be able to get accurate results. Okay, so we still have a long way to go before all this works out for us. Yes. But thank you, Andrew. Yeah, thank you welcome. for that. That's our Taiwan Explained for the week. Taiwan is one of the few places in the world where pro baseball is in play. And we have English commentary so the whole world can enjoy. And about a million viewers have been tuning into each game. 
Now to find out more, we sent Leslie Liao to talk with a baseball blogger, Vincent Liao, who has worked with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, as you might guess from the last names, Vincent Liao, Leslie Liao, they are in fact brothers. So yes, we have an Andrew and Chris Cuomo situation going on right here in Taiwan Insider. Let's have a look. ESPN anchor Keith Olbermann, he shared a video of him being up in the middle of the night watching Taiwanese baseball. But in my mind, I couldn't help but think, like, he doesn't really know any of these players. He's not even following it. Is it just a, a sports mentality here? Like, how much familiarity do people really need to be incentivized to watch baseball? Well, let me stop you right there, because uh, I think I say kids like you, or okay. right? you're 17 years younger than me, um, probably don't understand how big Keith Oberman is mm -hmm. uh, for sports fans. Right, uh, back in the day when there's no internet, well, barely internet, when there's no Twitter, no Facebook, when uh, when we all had to sit in front of TV, wait for ESPN Sports Center to come on, Keith Oberman was the guy. It was Keith Oberman and Dan Patrick, and then they would tell tell us what happened throughout the day in the world of sports. So for him to pick up baseball in Taiwan and through his personal Twitter, uh, this is big time for Taiwan for people like us. We understand how big this is, and for for him to pay attention to Taiwan, actually, you know, have an active interest into it, uh, telling everybody how wonderful this um, baseball game is being played in Taiwan. This is this is big time, big time for Taiwan. He got into a Twitter conversation with uh, President Tsai of Taiwan over right. what's happening in baseball here. I mean, for someone that big to have a dialogue with a country's leader at this point, it's not even baseball; it's almost diplomacy. Pretty much, pretty much. I think uh, he mentioned, right, mm -hmm. he went to, uh, was it Cornell? Yeah, Cornell. Cornell, right, with uh, President Tsai yeah. around the same time. I think there was some translation mistake by the Taiwanese media thinking that, oh, he was claiming he was a classmate of Tsai. Oh, okay. And they were saying that, oh, hey, you're trying to, trying to, I don't know, uh, how do you say in uh, in English, you're trying to Oh, say, ride the coattails? Right, you're trying to ride the coattails of President. But I think uh, at the end of the day, you know, President Tsai, you know, she responded and she said, hey, why, you know, remember to join us and watch the next game. I think it's a, it, it, it's a great exposure for Taiwan and it also uh, a great um, exposure for Tsai, for President Tsai. She is down to earth enough, right, to care about baseball, to care about um, this celebrity broadcaster in the States is talk is saying about our sport. One of the highlights that Keith Olbermann saw was a bench clearing brawl between right. the Rockerton Monkeys right. and uh, what was the other team? The, the Fubon Fubon Guardians. Guardians. Yeah. Now my question is, was that just for dramatic effect? Do these players know that they're being watched and it's like, hey, we got to put on a good show? Because in my memory, I don't really see a lot of brawls in the CPBL, whereas, you know, there's always seems to be some guy charging the mound on SportsCenter on ESPN back in the States. Right. So for everybody else, um, Leslie Liao is a conspiracy theorist in our family, right? So he thinks when there's a bench clearing brought and the whole world is watching uh, our baseball, this has got to be a show. I mean, the timing is too good. The timing is too good. All joking aside, I want to say um, these Taiwanese baseball players, they take the game very seriously because for them, this is not a reduced season. This is not a condensed season. They're playing the full season. And there is a Taiwan series, a championship series at the end of the year. So they are playing for, you know, for the team's success, for their own honor. So for these people watching Taiwanese baseball for the first time, say, overseas, what would you say the biggest difference they might recognize or might notice while watching a Taiwanese baseball game is? Never mind the fact that there's no audience here. 
but what is something that makes Taiwanese baseball distinctly Taiwanese? I think right now it's an empty stadium. There's no, there, there are no fans there watching the game. But for these creative teams, they have come up with uh, mannequin robots, um, you know, uh, even cut out, cut out printout boards of fans. Actually, fans can submit their photos to the team with the fee. They'll print it out. They'll print your picture on it and print it out and just put it on the seat. And what they say is they'll leave it there until fans are allowed back into the stadium. So every game, you will be there with cheering on, you know, in photo form, cheering your player on. So these are the creativities. And also for some of the American fans, you would see that even if it's an empty stadium, cheerleaders will be there. Uh, they'll be dancing, they'll be singing, uh, they'll cheer these players on. This is something that's very, you know, that's, this is something you don't see in American baseball games. There's no cheerleaders. And you know what? Maybe they should, you know, bring about cheerleaders. So you're saying the MLB could learn a little something from the CPBL. Hey, why not? All right, once again, that was Leslie Liao from Taiwan Insider talking with his brother, the baseball blogger Vincent Liao. We'll have the full interview available for you on Facebook and YouTube. In today's Taiwan by Number, I'm going to give you three ideas for diversions at home. And these three ideas all are connected to Taiwan and they all begin with the letter E. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, anyways. Egg dipping? Uh, <laughs> elevator riding? <laughs> the first one is enjoy the arts. And okay. I want to recommend that people take a virtual tour of the National Palace Museum. It's the largest collection of imperial Chinese arts. There are a lot of great virtual tours there. They also have pictures of individual pieces of art. And my question for Andrew is, why are you laughing? Because you're going to ask me how many pieces they have, aren't you? Yeah, how many pictures oh. <laughs> of pieces of art do they have on the website? Oh, on their website? Yeah, you can basically look at the art on the website in That's detail. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. How many pictures? Um, I'm afraid that doesn't make it any easier for me to answer. <laughs> uh, let's say... 1,500. Okay, let's take a look. Whoa. Okay, so 12,727, and that picture <laughs> is of a virtual tour and you, where you can see the jadeite cabbage and the meat-shaped stone Yes, that people love so yes. much. Okay, it's like everybody's favorite is food. <laughs> you know? It's rocks that look like food. Yeah, I mean, right. very primal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I do want to show you a couple pictures. I thought they were really beautiful. There, Here's one of a pillow. So that's a thousand-year-old ceramic pillow from the Northern Song Dynasty. Isn't that beautiful? It's a child. It's Can very, you imagine like sleeping on that though? It's, <laughs> it's so very hard. beautiful and it does not look comfortable. It does not look comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and let me show you one more picture. Um, this is a beautiful Yuan Dynasty ceramic bowl. It's over 700 years old. Wow, look Isn't at that. that. beautiful? The colors are amazing. Uh, I wish that was in my home. I'd yeah. love to <laughs> eat off of that. Yeah. <laughs> So there's a lot of beautiful art online at the National Palace Museum website to look at. Okay, now my second idea is to express yourself with a song. <laughs> you want to sing right now? I know you're into singing, Andrew. How does this work? Oh, my goodness. But, you know, karaoke is extremely popular in Taiwan. My testing. question for you is... Testing, testing. My question for you is when, when was it invented? When was what invented? Karaoke. Karaoke? Yes, Oh, my goodness. Uh, 
Well, in Japan, right? Right. It was invented in Japan, not in Taiwan, but we love it here. It's like our national pastime. And One of them. It, it, you're talking about that it has a TV screen with the words yeah, and a little the bouncing machine, ball? Yeah, the machine. The machine. I'm going to say 1980. Okay, let's take a look. 1971. Whoa. And look at that. That's actually an app. So you actually don't even need to leave your home nowadays to sing. You can just do it on your iPad or your iPhone or your phone. And you don't even need a microphone. But I it, don't know. it sounds better with a microphone. I have to say, some of us need a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you have it back, though. Okay. So anyways, those are the ideas. I hope that you enjoyed them. I hope they'd be useful to you and that you can enjoy yourself at home. This week on Hashtag Taiwan, I want to talk to you about Thailand. Oftentimes, people get Taiwan and Thailand mixed up. There are even features and graphics online explaining the differences between the two. However, recently, Taiwan and Thailand have put aside their differences and joined forces online. Why? Buckle up. This is a Thai actor. His name is Bright. And this is his girlfriend who goes by the nickname Nu. Recently, Bright retweeted a photo of Hong Kong and he called the city a country. Chinese netizens didn't like that and started attacking Bright on social media. But Thai netizens came to Bright's defense saying that he didn't do anything wrong. Chinese netizens went a step further and uncovered a photo of when Nu went to Taiwan in 2017. There's a whole back and forth here, but the only thing you really need to know is that Nu said she was trying to go for a Taiwanese style of fashion. Chinese netizens didn't like that. They didn't like that one bit. And then there were arguments, back and forths, insults, memes were being thrown around. If you've ever been on the internet, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I don't want to talk about the arguments today. If you want to see more of that, just flip through a YouTube comment section. Instead, I do want to focus on this. Thailand, Taiwan, and Hong Kong have banded together and formed the Milk Tea Alliance. The name comes from a mutual like for milk tea with each place having their own distinct interpretation of the beverage. The Milk Tea Alliance started as a unified pushback against Chinese netizens, but since then it's evolved into something much more than that. It's caught the attention of Hong Kong activist Joshua Wong, and even the Ministry of Foreign Affairs put hashtag milk tea partnership in a post commemorating a face mask donation to Thailand. When Taoyuan City Mayor Tsun Wenchan donated medical equipment to Thailand, they celebrated the occasion by drinking milk tea. The Taiwanese officials drank Thai milk tea and the Thai officials drank Taiwanese milk tea. Isn't that beautiful? The art surrounding the Milk Tea Alliance is absolutely adorable. You have beverages turned into cartoons or straight up humanized versions of milk tea from each country. Finally, the Leslie Liao pick of the week. Twitter user SadSadPotato posted this image. This is a flag, apparently, of the Milk Tea Alliance with different colors representing the milk teas from the different parts of the alliance. Hey, I like subtlety sometimes. Anyway, that's all I have for this week. Until next week, stay safe, stay healthy. And Natalie and Andrew, stay away from each other, but maybe have some milk tea. Well, we hope you enjoyed this playful edition of Taiwan Insider this week. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, leave a comment below. We would love to hear from you. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So. And I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week. What are those buttons on RTI's new website for? 
Those are for Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. You can share RTI content with the click of a button. You mean like this? Yep, just like that. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I am Natalie So. Today I speak with a prominent host of the news program The View with Catherine Zong, and we speak about the World Health Organization and Taiwan. Well, Catherine, it's great to have you on the show, and congratulations on your new news program, your English news program. Thank you very much, Matthew. We've been old friends for many years, and uh, very, very happy to talk to you. And uh, this is a new thing that I try, uh, the view with Catherine Chang. And uh, you know, the whole thing happened just because I really want to tell all the uh, our friends internationally. Maybe they don't understand Chinese, and they can really know what we think. That's what. Why I want to start the show. Well, that's it. and you have the perfect timing too now because everyone's facing this global pandemic, and Taiwan exactly. really wants to help, right? Yeah, and also you know Taiwan has been isolated. Taiwan can help, and Taiwan is helping. So we want the world to know that what Tadro said about criticism that that is not right. So we want to tell our uh, friends around the world, you know, that my show, the view with Catherine Chang. Uh, was cited by one of the Argentina TV station Channel 26. That's great. You're already getting global attention. Well, what do you think about you know recently people in Taiwan crowdfunded for a New York Times ad, a full page um, describing you know what we want to tell the world. What do you think of that ad? I think the ad is excellent. It's really excellent. You know what? First. Um, it really kind of simple, and it really kind of bring your heart to it. But during this isolation, it said that we want to be solidarity. That means we want to work together. They also said you cannot really isolate Taiwan. Why? Because Taiwan is here to help, and Taiwan know how you suffer because we have been isolated for for many years, and we are kind of devastating for the SARS of two thousand and three. So I think this ad is very successful, especially in New York. You know, New York is now kind of devastating about the whole thing. And if you put it on the New York Times, um, that would that would mean something. I think that would mean something to um, the American people. I think so. Yeah, I think Taiwan is really shining at this time, and we really do want to help, and we don't want to be isolated from the WHO. And and also, you know, the fact that the WHO Director General called us racist against him. I think people are really upset about that, but they don't want to be all negative. They want to bring it back to a positive spirit of trying to help, right? I don't think it's discrimination is that much in Taiwan. I'm kind of disappointed that Tendros was say something about that because I feel that he is kind of worried about what he did or he know what he did wrong. So. He just bring up the idea and saying that, oh, all of you, you just discriminate me. It's a racial thing. But he didn't understand in Taiwan, we don't have such a problem as racial. I mean, we don't, we don't criticize you as you're black or something, you know. So the whole thing is out of imagination. I, I, I'm kind of disappointed that he would say anything like that. Yeah, that means he, he's not really capable of that position. That's what I think. 
And also Taiwan did very well, and uh, it kind of got a pressure from China, and he kind of maybe cover up for the Communist Party, or maybe he really did receive the letter from a Taiwan government, and he just ignored it. So I, I think he had a lot of problems. That's true. I mean, I think he's trying to deflect the whole um, issue of his competency by talking about racism. And I, I think that it's it's great that Taiwan came, you know, back with a very positive campaign. This attack comes from Taiwan, a lot of positive images about Taiwan. Yeah, even inviting him to come to Taiwan, which he probably won't do. But um, also recently, uh, Donald Trump decided to cut funding to the WHO. What do you think of that, Catherine? I think that's a good move. Uh, maybe in uh, like Bill Gates, you know, some of them think that this is not the right time to do that. But, well, to, to, to tell the truth, I really think that's a great move for Taiwan because, you know, how can we do anything about Chandros? I mean, he's kind of uh, saying this and that. He kind of uh, protects China, but we cannot do anything about it. But Donald Trump is, is the president of the United States, and he just cut back. It's like 4.5. How much is that? I think it's about 45 or something, the millions and millions of dollars. So anyway, per year for that. And this is kind of a punishment for Chandros. And I think this is the right thing to do because, you know, you know how many people will die in the state, in the future? I don't know. I mean, Trump, he had the run for the election. So he must find somebody to carry the burden and saying that it's not my responsibility. It is you. It is you, WHO. <laughs> it is you, Andrews. You didn't tell me this. You persuade right. me not to ban the uh, travel from China and this and that. I think that's Trump want to do. Yeah, I mean, he's been very political this whole time. Um, I mean, I think Tedros should be punished, but um, I'm not sure if this is the best move. But what do you think about Taiwan's chances of becoming an observer this year at the WHO, now that there's so much attention that we've been getting? I think, well, uh, WHO will have a lot of pressure from China. I'm not sure about this term. This is a good chance for Taiwan, but um, you know, if China still has a lot of pressure, um, tenderal, I, I'm not so optimistic about China would join the, uh, become one of the uh, observers this year. I, I, I'm not so optimistic. But, you know, it's like a game. Maybe Taiwan didn't win the game, but we win the whole war. You know what I mean? And everybody knows that you're good. You didn't get number one. You didn't get into the WHO members or observers, but it doesn't matter. People know that you did a great job. So it would be great if WHO really let Taiwan become an observer, but I really don't think he would do that because China will lose space. And China is kind of too sensitive recently. <laughs> uh, so I, I, don't, I, I don't think, you, know, you can see that uh, the aircraft carrier Liaoning, you know, just move to the Bashi channel and the US, the whole thing, the military renewers and something like that. So I don't think China will really lose the place that way. I don't think they will allow the WHO to let Taiwan become an observer. Well, what do you think about Taiwan's global standing at this time? I mean, a lot of people have been paying attention to how we've been doing a great job with the pandemic, um, keeping it at bay. Do you think this is going to affect our international relations? Exactly. And Taiwan become, like we said, um, you know, we, we are small, a small country, but uh, we are big heart, you know, with big heart, with lion heart. And this is a great opportunity for Taiwan. And I, I'm so proud to be a Taiwanese, you know, because, you know, we, we just starting from this, it, it's kind of Natalie, you know, this is like uh, what we said, 
it's uh, the whole thing. We didn't plan a whole thing like that because we don't trust China, right? And we were <laughs> by WHO. So we have to be on our own. And on our own, eventually turned out to be better. The one of the best in the world, you know? <laughs> so but it's a good thing that we didn't trust China or the WHO. Yeah, you know, those countries, like they trust, trust WHO, like uh, Japan or uh, Italy or what we say, Korea. I mean, they have those problems, you know, like uh, the coronavirus spread, the outbreak and everything. They cannot control it. So I think this is a good chance for Taiwan. And really, I think Taiwan did a great job because we are kind of like a, we, we don't, you know, the performance and everything, the international attention and the people in Taiwan. The, this kind of attitude we show, this kind of kindness, this kind of thing that we want to help the other nations. Uh, really, really, I think a lot of people say thanks to Taiwan. I mean, they, they really feel some warmth from Taiwan. That's why I think the friendship really, really come from all the other you know, countries in the world. That, that is great. Yeah, and I think the Taiwan people are genuinely a, a kind and warm and giving people. Yeah, you know that. So. You married you married to a Taiwanese, right? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I always thought that you were going to go back to the States. You want to get married and you stay in Taiwan because you love it here. Yeah, Taiwan's a great place. And I'm glad to see it get a lot of positive attention. And I uh, love the, what you're doing with your show. It's a brand new show, right? Just a couple it's weeks. It's all in English. And uh, a lot of people ask me where you uh, can see it. Actually, it's not on TV yet. It's on the internet. You can go on YouTube. Um, every night we re, uh, re, uh, renew it, like uh, every new segment, every night around 11 p.m. Um, it's like about 10 minutes or 15 minutes show. The view and, with Catherine Chow. And what is it that you want to accomplish with your show? Um, I want to accomplish, actually, I cannot say it's really accomplished. I just, I know that I'm not a native speaker. But I feel myself as the number one anchor in Taiwan. And I want to express my point of view, which is, the Taiwanese point of view to the world. Um, it's really, uh, I'm, I'm kind of shocked that a lot of people, they, they don't speak Mandarin, that maybe they're in, um, in, in Africa, they're in the States. They send message to me, they say they uh, watch a show and they really love it. They think they can understand what's going on in Taiwan. You know what, that I, I've been working as an anchor and uh, host like for how many years? Like uh, 20 something? Yeah, view my age, twenty something, thirty years old. But you know, I I never thought that I change language and I can reach so many people. So that's a good thing, you know. Um, so you know, the other day, um, in the show, I explained why uh, ROC Taiwan is different from PRC, and the whole thing is a long story. You have to make it short, and it just uh, caused the civil war in 1949 and this and that. But those things in Taiwan, we think we know everything about that. But for foreigners or you know they don't understand they think well what's wrong with it what's prc and roc so well i just want to take some time to explain it to our audience and they will understand what i want to thinking and i love your style too because you're just so natural you're just totally yourself you know oh, really? I'm myself yeah that's right and i want to i want to say that i'm not a native speaker i make mistakes sometimes but you know i hope that you can understand what i mean i mean just you understand the idea and you understand what Taiwan is going on. Taiwan has been isolated for so many years because of the pressure from China. It doesn't make any sense. You know, uh, China always said this is a one China policy, but who is the one to lead the country? Is it, is it the Republic of China? 
because Republic of China is one of the founding members of the United Nations, you know, but now Mao Zedong changed the name to PRC, right? So we have the problem like the ROC, PRC. So it's going to be a long road for Taiwan to carry on, to Taiwan to want to be kind of like um, developed internationally because we always have somebody to shut you down. We always have somebody to pressure you and that is China. So it's great that uh, you are presenting a voice from Taiwan. So it's called yes. The View with Catherine Zhang. And uh, I hope that people tune in and become a loyal listener, a loyal viewer, I mean. <laughs> and, uh, and in the end, I would like to say that um, I hope in the future, first, I think we, uh, in, in Taiwan, we will have a bilingual, uh, especially English news channel uh, in Taiwan, totally English. Um, the reason for that is that Taiwan can reach out, Taiwan can tell people what they think, and also all the students in Taiwan can get free access to learn English, but we don't have to pay money for it, you know? And then we know the whole international thing and Taiwan will be kind of growing up again and again. It's going to become big in the, in, in the international society. That's what I want to do. Like 20 something years ago, I had a book uh, teaching people how to uh, learn English because, you know, I'm not a native speaker, so I, I learned it the hard way. And the book is coming back again. So it will be on Broker Live. It will be on Broker Live. Uh, and then we will start to, that everybody worked together. Everybody just wanted to do something good for Taiwan. And now, you know, because of the coronavirus, we have to stay home, right? But we have to be strong. We have to have a big heart and lion heart. That's what I always encourage myself, to be happy, to be optimistic. That's great. Well, you're doing a great job with your um, career. You've always been Taiwan's top anchorwoman, and you have your great news show, and now you have an English news show. I think it's great. So uh, keep up the great Thank work, you. Catherine. Congratulations on your new show. I love it. I, you're doing a great job. Thanks. Thanks, Agri. Very nice to see you. That is one of Taiwan's most popular news personalities, Catherine Zong, the host of the program, the View with Catherine Zong. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste and the destination Zilong 1626. In the early 1600s, Spain was still in the middle of its golden age. Spanish culture was flourishing, and Spanish rule extended across much of the world. The city of Manila, capital of the Philippines, was one of the empire's prized possessions. 
Merchants from nearby China came to sell Chinese silks in exchange for silver brought across the Pacific from Spanish Mexico. But all was not well. In 1624, a great enemy set up shop uncomfortably close to Manila on an island called Taiwan. To counter this threat, the Spanish came to Taiwan themselves two years later, setting up a Taiwan colony of their own. Professor Jose Eugenio Borao Mateo has made the study of this short-lived colony his life's work. He teaches in the Spanish department at National Taiwan University, and he's the author of the book The Spanish Experience in Taiwan, a Baroque ending to a Renaissance endeavor. Over the next few weeks, he'll be telling us about why the Spanish came here and what they did during their brief stay. He'll also tell us about the colony's fall and about his own first-hand experiences digging into this often neglected piece of Taiwan's story. The Dutch had revolted against Spanish rule, and now they were in Asia, carving out their own piece of Europe's lucrative Asian trade. The Dutch blockaded Manila several times, threatening to disrupt the city's trade with China. But news of their colony on Taiwan set off new alarm bells. Stopping the Dutch threat was the main reason for Spain's interest in Taiwan. Still, the island held other attractions too. To a Catholic order called the Dominicans, the north of Taiwan seemed awfully close to two of their objectives, China and Japan. The main reason they came here is because they feel very strong threat from the Dutch. They started in 1600 when they make a blockade of Manila. They thought that to have a spot here in between in Taiwan would be convenient for them. And also the Dominicans, the missionaries were pushing for this adventure because for them was very good occasion to enter for the first time in China and also to ensure the way that they have already towards Japan that was at that moment a real threat. No? In 1626, the Spanish founded their base on the northern tip of Taiwan, on an island in what's now called Zilong Harbor. Professor Borao says that once they arrived, they met two villages of a trading people called the Basai. Both Spanish and Dutch writers note them, but after these Europeans left Taiwan, the Basai disappeared into history. The natives here, they call always the Basai. And it's very interesting because later this tribe is not known again, doesn't appear in the sources, but also it's not only the Spaniards, also the Dutch, they talk very much about the Basai. No? This um, scholar, Peter Kahn, he has made the research on the Basai, and he thinks that they're a kind of commercial network from the eastern area of Taiwan towards the north of Taiwan. It's a special tribe, in my opinion, but uh, in fact, there was not too many people. I mean, this was not overpopulated. There was only a few towns around, and the Spaniards dealt with two in Jilon Harbor, one called Kimauri, another one called Tapari. No? When first meeting these commercially-minded villagers, the Spanish failed to leave a good impression. But things improved after missionaries insisted on compensation for burnt property. Eventually, Kimauri and Tapauri children were able to speak Spanish. I think the relation, of course, at the very beginning was not good, no? in the sense that they were intruders. No? They burned some houses, probably to intimidate them, and they escaped to the mountains. But because of the, the request of the 
and the pressure of the Dominican missionaries, the military authorities assumed the blame for this and, and they start to pay compensation to the natives for their own houses, no? And the, I mean, not in a single shot, but little by little, different times, because we know that in one moment, when they were not happy with the natives, they said, oh, maybe they don't reserve any more to receive this compensation, no? But I think in a few years, they came with, with relations because there was a lot of uh, interaction, especially the, the children, native children, they enter in, in the fortress, uh, they speak Spanish very fluently, and the whole town were converted, no? the Kimauri and Tepauri and also Santiago, uh, probably among 1,000 new converts. No? No matter how many local souls the Spanish missionaries converted, the threat from the Dutch, the main reason they were here, still loomed large. When the Spanish first arrived in 1626, the Dutch colony on the southern end of the island was still small. A Spanish armada of sorts was sent southward to wipe it out. Taiwan's weather didn't cooperate. At the very beginning, uh, I mean, the, the main threat was the Dutch, of course, because they have important power, and they can uh, make blockades to Manila. So the Spaniards saw that, and they thought that the best was to destroy this early Dutch post, because at the time, 1637 was very small. No? And the Spaniards felt, because of the weather, no? I mean, it was a very strong typhoon, and they tried again a few months later with another fleet, and they had the same fate. No? So in that case, they just give up. Two attempts, two fleets, two failures. But while they didn't succeed in their mission, these two fleets are interesting to look at. Because the Spanish weren't the only ones fighting on the Spanish side. The 1627 fleet, they have more than 1,000 uh, military personnel. No? They also were supplemented by local warriors, especially from the Pampangan tribes near Manila, in the north of Manila. No? They were very loyal to the Spaniards in, in the Philippines, and they were even proud to serve the Spanish armies. Soldiers from colonized peoples, like the Philippine Pampangans, are part of Taiwan's story, too. The Spanish may have failed to drive the Dutch from Taiwan, but they were able to dig in. At Zilong, they built Fort San Salvador, which Professor Barao says was a serious, large-scale project. It's very interesting the fact that this fort was quite big, quite serious. When they make a project to, to go here to Taiwan, they uh, have an, an ambition there no, to make a, a very big fort, probably the biggest one in the whole Far East. No? 100 meters square, they finished around 36, 37, so in 10 years it was already finished. And some of the, the Chinese, who was coming from mainland China, bring materials to, to work as masons, to construct, etc. No? Spanish authority spread from Jilong, making itself felt across Taiwan's north coast. Meanwhile, Spanish missionaries tried to convert the indigenous people of the area. For example, in Danshui, outside of what's now Taipei, they built a church under the protection of a second Spanish fort. Professor Borao, though, says that their success was limited to a group of nearby villages called Senar, where records show a Catholic procession was held. And being a missionary at the time could be dangerous. 
the 1630s saw some indigenous people turn against the Spanish, and some missionaries were killed in ambushes. Still, despite these setbacks and growing skepticism of the Taiwan colony's usefulness, the governor in Manila kept up his support for the colony and its missionary efforts. The governor in Manila they have a junta kind of big meeting with uh, different people. One of them was the governor Garcia Romero, if I remember well, and he was for keeping the, the existence of the colony, but the other people were more opposing to this idea because in 1636, uh, the killing of the missionaries, a kind of ambush by the natives, that's why they decide soon later to leave that, that place and to concentrate only in Chilon because at least in Chilon they, they were welcome, no? The governors that followed Garcia Romero would not be so enthusiastic about Taiwan. As supplies were axed and soldiers sent back to the Philippines, a colony meant to protect against the Dutch would instead become a weak target for a Dutch army. From trade and the search for a Taiwanese El Dorado to the colony's last stand and fall, there's a lot still left for us to explore. I hope you'll join me and Professor Barao again next week for another journey back into the world of Spanish Taiwan. Antibody tests are being discussed in places like Germany and the U.S. as a way for allowing those countries to get back to work. Now, those tests are being used in a very different way here in Taiwan. Now, in today's Taiwan Explained, I'm going to tell you about what antibody tests can and cannot tell us. Okay, you have 60 seconds. Are you ready, Andrew? I think so. All right, go. All right, first of all, antibody tests cannot detect an early infection of COVID-19, but they can tell you who's had it and roughly when. That's because different antibodies appear at different times. For example, a general one appears when you first get sick. Another antibody, which can recognize and fight COVID-19, doesn't peak until about 28 days. Now, when they tested personnel on board the Taiwanese Navy ship, this is what they found. Several people on board tested negative for COVID-19, but they had antibodies suggesting an earlier wave of infection on that ship. Now, scientists believe that people with antibodies probably have immunity, but they don't know for how long. Now, the million-dollar question is, can these tests help countries to get back to work? Now, the health minister says that there is a scientific basis for using antibody tests to help workers return to work, but there just aren't enough quality tests available for everyone. The minister also says it's not useful to do a lot of antibody testing in Taiwan because the number of cases is too low. Perfect, Andrew. <laughs> Great job. That's a you know, very complicated subject. Very complicated. And I think most people are wondering is how useful will these be to open up societies? What are the current obstacles? Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So first of all, I think it's important to reiterate that these tests uh, that show antibodies, uh, they don't necessarily tell you how long people are going to be immune okay. to COVID-19. Mm. Now, the second thing is, is that people are talking about herd immunity. So the idea is that the more people that have the antibodies, the more that they can slow the spread of the disease because the virus doesn't have anywhere to go. Mm -hmm. Now, right now, initial testing shows that in places like Wuhan and in some places in the U.S., the, uh, only about 3% of the population has antibodies. But in order for herd immunity to take place, you need closer to 60%, some experts are saying. Now, I also mentioned tests. They're having problems with test kits, especially rapid test kits. 
Uh, for example, the UK ordered millions of these test kits from China only to discover that they're not accurate enough to use. Uh, now, lab tests are much better, um, but like for example, with the Taiwan Navy tests, they sent them to three different labs to make sure that they would be able to get accurate results. Okay, so we still have a long way to go before all this works out for us. Yes. But thank you, Andrew. Yeah, thank you're you welcome. for that. That's our Taiwan Explained for the week. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.